body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body go into hell. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Elise. Well, good morning, church. My name is Mike. I'm one of our pastors here. I do spiritual formation and counseling and things like that. Happy Palm Sunday. If you don't know, again, Palm Sunday is when Jesus, the, the week before his death, rode into Jerusalem on a donkey. He humbled himself, showing his, his humanness and his humility. But it's his triumphal entry, going in triumphant, to be nailed on a cross. His throne turned out to be a cross. He's nailed in our place. He's committed in our place. And we celebrate that. And now, if you lust, you're going to hell. <laughs> uh, th- thank you, Scott, for assigning this passage to me. <laughs> Been thanking him all week, I have. No, this passage is, if, if, you're, if you're here this morning and maybe you're investigating Christianity, this is maybe one of the passages that you hate. That you despise that maybe even the way Christianity has embodied this passage over the years with things like purity culture and all that, it's the very reason I don't even want to be around this, right? And even in our own backyard, you remember the, the spa shootings? You remember what he said was the reason he did it? Because that's where temptation was. Claiming the name of our Savior did those horrible acts of violence using passages like this. But let's go out of the church now. Let's take a look at college campuses and rape culture. Let's take a look at the Me Too movement and the mess that we're seeing out in Hollywood. It's no better. as As I've looked and read and researched and done all the prep, it seems that we're more confused than ever. No one's got answers. What do we do about this problem? Where are our answers? The church is not helping. Outside the church is not helping. Where do we turn? Or are we just to, to be like animals and respond to our desires? And so that's where we lean. And, you know, as a church, as a, as a pastor and, and, and my own experience of being married almost 20 years now, I know it's not much compared to some of the gray hair I see in here, but I do have a few, you see. But almost 20 years of that, I've seen my own struggles here, especially. Because listen, when you talk about lust, you have to talk about sex. There's no way around it. Lust and sex. We got to talk about that this morning. Within the church, just in my own experiences, I've, I've seen this. I've seen single folks in the church don't look very different than the ones out of the church. They're just as promiscuous oftentimes, right? I've seen married couples disenfranchised feel so let down by this area of their lives and feeling so stuck. I don't know what to do about it. I don't know how it'll change. And so we're just going to move on. We, we're not, we're not going to get divorced. We're just not going to have any passion. We're going to live parallel, and it's just going to slowly dwindle over time to where we don't even talk about it anymore. I see that. But I also see this. I see a few single people clinging to contentment in the midst of their loneliness. I've seen married couples learning their stories in such a way and their sexual past and finding healing and beautiful union together. I've seen that in my own marriage. And that's why I stand in the gap all the time with many of you and say, I know it can happen in you because it happened to me. Me and my wife 
despised this part of our lives eight years into marriage. We couldn't stand who we were, and, our, and, and it just was confusing, you know? And so this morning, as we look at lust, we're going to deal with sex. And I don't want to make the same mistake that we often do with our kids, which is to start with the fall, what's broken about it. Because so as we get into talking about lust, let's talk about what's beautiful. Let's talk about this thing that God created that's so wonderful. Because you do know, you do know, I know I, I just like to stop and say, say this. He thought of this. Not us. God created sex. And it's pre-fall. Genesis 3 is when sin comes in the world. Genesis 1 and 2, 1 and 2 they're naked and unashamed before their God. Sexual intimacy was beautiful, and, and it was a connected oneness before sin ever, ever came into the world. Do you know that there are parts of your body that there's no other use for it except pleasure? So it's not just the cultural mandate, which is to, to make babies, right? To, to be fruitful and multiply, but it's, but it's also to be enjoyed, to, 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 be, to fall in love with. Do you know you don't wake up and sing love songs about your job, do you? When's the last time you did that, right? There's no poetry about, about our work environments. No, there's poetry about this because this is something that's powerful and beautiful. And even in Genesis, when Adam sees Eve, he breaks into poetry. Bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. There is a union there that's so beautiful and so wonderful. And that is where we want to start. God made sex and it's awesome. And it was, it was created to, to be enjoyed in the context of a covenantal relationship. Covenantal relationship. And I, I don't have a better word than covenantal. i got to be honest. Covenantal, the word itself means to cut. And literally, when a man and a virgin lay together, the covenant is cut, if you didn't know. That's where the blood happens in a relationship. And so God calls this a covenant, and it is a picture of our covenant with him. He says, you have a covenant. And marriage is the place that the covenant happens intimately here. And so, as we look at Genesis and as we think about the rest of the Bible, I, I know, I don't know if you've read Song of Solomon, but it will make you blush. It'll turn your face red. It is very intimate, it's very sexual. There are many places in Scripture that show us. Christianity doesn't have this view that sex is terrible. It's bad, and just deny your body. That's what's been spread. That's what purity culture told us. Just deny your body. Your body's evil. Don't mess with your body. And girls, you better dress a certain way because these guys, it's just out of hand, right? That has had horrible implications in communities left and right. And we want to speak to it. No, it starts with beautiful. And the most holy person to ever live had a body. The most unholy person to ever live, Satan, didn't have a body. How about that one? Our bodies are beautiful. They're wonderful. They're to be enjoyed. And so can we start with, it's a gift. It's something wonderful that he gave us, and it's powerful. We, we don't want to deify it to make it God, but we don't want to downplay it in a way. Oh, don't, don't worry about it, right? And so what is a covenant? A covenant is a legal relationship. Now, I know you might start to say, wait a minute, you want to go ahead and mess sex up? Let's bring legal jargon into it, right? Baby, I can legally do this. No, no. It's, it's not like the, the legal part of it 
It's actually the safety and the beauty of a covenant. That you, you know that premarital sex and sex and marriage are two very different things. And we're going to get to that in a moment. Very different things because the covenant, it brings this safety. It brings this protection, this containment to this relationship to where here we can be who we are. In the covenant, sex is about the other person. It's about, it's about me pursuing the pleasure and the needs of my partner. Me finding oneness in her. Her finding oneness with me as we pursue each other's needs. And guess what? There are times where she demands that I change. There are times when, when I demand that she changes. And we, we learn to grow together as we come together. So here, we, we're given a promise We have this covenant that surrounds us, and as we share the joys, the sorrows, the hopes, and we emotionally connect, we physically touch each other, and it overflows into sexual union, and it's beautiful. And that's the way it's supposed to work. So now, the the last expression I'll give you actually is, sex is a lot like the table. We say this all the time, and Scott's going to mention it. The table, we say if you're not a believer, don't take from the table. Why? This is an outward sign of an invisible reality. The invisible reality is God loves you. He's chosen you. You have relationship with him. And now as an outward sign, we're going to partake of the table that he left for us. Sex, the invisible reality is the union you have in marriage. The outward sign is the the physical act of this. So it's much like a sacrament as it happens within the covenant. So now what is lust? Jesus could have used a lot of words here, guys. And I just want to tell you, he doesn't use a word that has anything to do with sex. Like, wait a minute, we're talking about sex. Why are we talking about sex? Well, because lust is over sexual desire, right? But listen, I want to say what it's not first. This, this Greek word is epithume. I don't know if I'm saying it right. Epithumia, it's, it's different ways of saying it depending on the ending. But it's, it's, it means desire, strong desire. You know, when Jesus, when he brings the table to the upper room. He says, I epithume to eat this meal with you. You hear that? He has this strong desire to eat this meal with his disciples. So it doesn't necessarily mean something sinful. But in the context of our passage, when he begins, you've heard it said. Now, he has said this six times. And what he's saying is, listen, the the Old Testament law said these things. But now I'm going to build on it. To be a community defined by my righteousness, which is what this sermon is that he's given, the Sermon on the Mount. To be a communion, you've heard it said, but now I say. Right? So adultery has been seen as this physical thing. And just like always, Jesus says, no, it's not about the physical thing. It's about the heart. I say this, that even if you look, if you look and you have this epithume in your heart towards a woman, and, and, and again, this is, this is towards from women to men as well. It's important to hear. But even if it's, this is in your heart in a way, if, if this desire has a certain distortion to it, which we'll get to in a second, then it can lead to hell for you. That's what he's saying. Very tough passage. So what's so strong desire? Let me say again what he's not saying. Lust is not equal to sexual desire, number one. He's not saying in the upper room, I have sexual desire to eat this meal with you. It's not what he's saying. He's saying he has strong desire. So it's not, it's not the same. 
uh, lust is not, uh, Jesus is, um, is saying sexual desire, even strong sexual desire, is not wrong. It's not wrong to look at a man or woman and to see them as sexually beautiful. That's not what he's talking about here. That's not what this passage is about. Epithume is this disordered love that we're going to begin to talk about now. So what, what does he mean? If it's not those things, here's what lust is. It's two things. The first thing is it's impersonal. It's impersonal. What do we mean? Remember, what was sex about? It's about covenant. It's about connection. It's about oneness. Lust is about me. Lust is about self-indulgence. It's about me looking on, feeling this desire, and wanting it for me. And that begins to bring some conviction. Because guess where this can happen? Within the covenant. This isn't just for people who aren't married or just for people who committed adultery. No, this can be happening in your very marriage right now. This can be happening in your singleness right now. And so sex is about covenant. It's personal. It's about intimacy and it's about integration. Lust is about self-gratification. Lust is it's about consumption. So if we have a covenantal relationship, now we're going to juxtapose that to a consumer relationship. You know, recently... I keep seeing these Windows 10 computers come out, Windows 11 now, and there's something so appealing about them. I love their touchscreen and their pen in the context of a computer. It's pretty cool. And I've been so tempted to get one because, remember, I'm actually in a consumer relationship with Apple, right? Like, I love Apple. I like their iPhone. But dang it, why won't you have a touchscreen? You know, why, why will you not do that? And if, if they don't meet my needs, guess what I do? I go to Windows, right? And if that doesn't meet my needs, I go somewhere else. See, a consumer relationship is not based on Apple's needs. It's based on my needs. And unless they change to meet my needs, I'm done with you. So now let's go into the context of sexual relationships outside of marriage. Lust. Again, this desire, this brewing outside of relationship. It's about me. If you don't change to meet my needs... Everything is about filling me up, me consuming you. And so, again, premarital sex, living with a partner, which they've shown over and over, is so bad for the relationship. Why? Let's think it out. Because it's not a covenantal relationship. You're actually practicing being consumeristic. It's, it's like an ongoing marketing strategy, right? Like, oh, is he going to choose me? Is she going to choose me? Is she not? Right? And you're trying to figure out ways to stay together, to stay loved, because, again, you're consuming each other. Back and forth, back and forth. The covenantal relationship is about oneness. It's about connectedness. It's about deferring to the other. It's about sacrifice and commitment so that we can become the very people God's called us to be. This is the exact opposite. It's to consume each other. So it's, it's, a, it's a direct flying in the face of God's design for humanity and sexuality. And let me tell you what it does, friends is it makes you fall in love with something. And you know what that is? It's yourself. As we scroll on the phone, as we are in that dark room and that the computer's lighting up the room and, and there's self-gratification going on, slowly, life becomes disordered. All my desire is about me. I'm disconnected from God. I disconnect from myself. I disconnect from my spouse and my community, and slowly I fall in love with me. 
everything is about me. That's what lust is, friends. It is an impersonal, disordered desire that has self at the center of it, which Scott has said almost every week about every other vice. Listen to this. This is called Surfing for God. It's a book. Um, And here's six promises that porn gives us. Just listen to them. Sexual fulfillment without relationship. There's a promise. Intimacy without requiring risk and suffering. Validation of our manhood or womanhood without requiring strength. Passion in life without connection with your soul. Power without responsibility. Comfort and care without depending on others. That's the promises of porn. That's the power that lust can have over us to promise us those things and then trap us in the prison of ourselves. And now we begin to understand why Jesus brings up hell. This word for hell is the word Gehenna. And it's a literal place outside of Jerusalem. It's the trash heap. Here's where they go and they burn all of their trash. And you know what else is put there? Bodies of criminals that are dead. And then unclaimed bodies. Both are thrown out there. So those that are disconnected, things we don't want, that's what lust brings our heart to, to where that's the choice we've made, is to be outside the city, disconnected from life, disconnected from church, disconnected from family, to burn by ourselves in our own desire. That's why Jesus said, that's, lust has that kind of power. Now, my final statement will be this, in seeking to satisfy or pleasure ourselves, we end up losing ourselves. So if that's the biblical view of marriage, it's good, it's holy, it's wonderful. And now we have an enemy who's come in and taken something so beautiful and wonderful and distorted it. Now, how do we heal? How do we change? All right, and for the sake of time, I'm just going to kind of push through these. But I have, I have three things that are about eight things. But how do we heal? How do we cultivate true desire? Remember, in our series, we're looking at device, which would be lust. And we don't want to just look at lust because that would be hopelessness. But we also don't want to just look at the virtue because that doesn't, it's not helpful. So in our series, as we look at now, as we go from the vice to now the virtue of true desire, how do we cultivate that? How do we work on true desire? The first one is to start with this picture. You know what Jesus calls himself for his church? A bridegroom. A bridegroom. Think about that. What does the bride and the bridegroom do once married? Yeah, I saw. I saw. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I saw that. I know there are kids in here, but you know, there is something he's saying about the kind of relationship he desires with his church. And so individually, there's an intimacy we're called to as believers. That's very much so like sexual union. There is a depth that God wants with us. It's like sexual union. And, you know, to go back, I love this, guys. When I do, a, I did a wedding last week for a new couple in our church. Uh, it was so fun. And I love using Genesis 15. Many of you, I did your weddings. And I use Genesis 15 every time, so forgive me, because I love it so much. And But you know the story. That's Abraham when he's struggling to believe, God, how, I'm 100 years old. How can I have a son? 
Abram, he's struggling. Sarah is struggling. And he says, Abram, go get the animals. Remember? Cut them in half. And he makes a covenant with Abram. And like most covenants would be, at the least, me and whoever's covenanting with me, we lock arms and the blood runs into the stream. Remember the cut? You cut a covenant and you pass between the dead carcass saying, if I don't keep up my end of the deal, you can kill me. If you don't keep up your end of the deal, I can kill you. Right? That's what typically happens. Kings during that time would, no, no, no. I'm not getting, no, you're going to vow to do this for me. And so a king would have you go through alone. They didn't care about their side of the commitment. They're the king. So Abram's thinking one of those two things are going to happen. Neither happened. You know what happens? God puts a deep sleep on Abram. And then God passes through the pieces alone. And what is he saying? Abram, if I don't keep up my end of the deal to, to make a nation through you, to give you an heir, to bless the world through your lineage, if I don't keep my end of the deal, you can kill me. But Abram, if you don't keep up your end of the deal, you can kill me. And friends, what happens to the bridegroom when he, he rides in to Jerusalem? What happens? Our bridegroom fulfills his promise. He is stripped naked. The most intimate he could ever be. He is put on a cross, nailed open. The most intimate thing you can imagine. And the shame of all of that pours on him. And that's all the shame that has been built up and and pursued by my heart and many others as we've gone to lust and as we put this other desire over him. All of that fell on our Savior, and he died instead of us. And you know what I say to that married couple? You want a good marriage? Get that in your marriage. If It's not 50-50. If she comes zero, you go 100 if, if, you, if he comes zero, you go 100. That changes us. And you know how we know? Our kids. The kids give, kids come zero. No offense, guys. But you, you, they come zero. <laughs> right? They come zero all the time. And what do we do? We give. We give. And we, we're so committed. But, and we love them so much. Right? That kind of relationship, it unlocks something. When there's that kind of sacrificial oneness that happens. That's the beauty of the bridegroom. Is that in your heart? Have you experienced that kind of intimacy with Jesus? Is that deepening for you? That's how we cultivate this true desire and not put sexual desire over the desire for the Father. That's a way we cultivate. We must grow there. So individually that happens, but also communally. Communally, we're the bride. And so as the bride, we live vulnerably. We live accountable. We live open and and. City Church is moving and repenting towards this more and more and more each day. We want to be a community where you can be known, where you can come and uh, you, can, you can confess horrible addictions and say, yes, I know, me too. Let's pursue this thing. Let's go after it together. We want to be a community where, where you can come out of hiding and be seen, be in the light. Um, next, for the sake of time, that's a big one here. It's, it's your story. Your story is so important with your past, I mean, with your, with your sexual identity. Your, your past informs a lot of your present. And then your present leads to your future. Me and my wife, I, was, I grew up in a home where every boundary possible was crossed by my father. He was a horrible pedophile. And I'm not going to define that, but, you know, 
He was just, he crossed every boundary possible with me. My wife grew up in the opposite. She grew up in a home where nobody talked about it. No one mentions it. It's, it's like, no, no, don't go there, right? And so imagine someone over-sexualized and someone very under-sexualized, they get married. Eight years in, we're supposing things about each other. We don't like these things about each other. We had done no work. We didn't understand our past and how it informed what we brought into the bedroom, what we brought into our intimacy. We had no idea, and we had to get in front of some people, and we had to learn our past so that we could name our present and understand what's happening and have a different future, right? There's so, so much in our stories, and, and we long to, to walk in those things with you in, in this community so whether you to, to know those things and to grow. Because listen, over and over, when you turned and you give in to lust, remember, temptation, Jesus was tempted. Temptation is not a sin. Lust is, is not the first thought. Lust is the second thought. The first thought comes, it's like, oh, there it is, right? It just comes out of nowhere, right? It just, oh, gosh, I saw it. I can't unsee it. What do I do with the thought now? That right there, when I give into it, and then I give into it again, and again, a literal pathway happens in my brain. And so to undo that, it's not as simple as, oh, if I just put software on my computer, it's going to go away. No, no, there is work that has to be done in our stories and ways that we need to care for ourselves. And we do that through curiosity first and kindness. Let's, instead of indicting ourselves, instead of being so unkind, listen, some of the biggest shame I see come in my office are you, are you folks and myself when I've been here, when we're stuck in sexual sin and we don't feel like we can get out. The shame is so devastating. And it's wreaking havoc on our souls that takes us right back into the unwanted behavior, right? And so learning our stories, walking together in our stories is so important as we think about cultivating true desire and healing, kindness and curiosity. Um, lastly, and this one is important, it's some guardrails. Remember, look at our verse. Jesus says in 29, he says this. All right, I'll do it here. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body go into hell. Now, listen, Jesus is using hyperbole. This is not one of those places where Jesus is being literal. It's hyperbole, but it's supposed to get our attention. There is such power in lust. We can't just leave it there. We must, we must see that this is going to be powerful, and there are ways. There's probably a time of day. There are probably ways. Maybe it's when you go on trips for work. Maybe it's when you're home alone. There are little ways that you see in your body when temptation arises and can give birth to lust, which then gives birth to death and disconnection, right? There are ways. And so what are the guardrails you're using? What are the guardrails you're using for your kids? There are ways, and we have Apple devices, and I've cut off certain things so my kids can't get there, and I have it passworded. I'm even looking into a VPN for my server to keep all that out if possible, right? These are good things. They can't be the only thing, which people have tried to make them the only thing in the past, but you know just don't look, don't look, don't look doesn't work, right? We figure out ways around that pretty easily. We have to deal with the heart. That's what Jesus is saying, but in dealing with the heart, let's let's take our eye out, take our hand off. Let's put guidelines in place because this is important. It's serious, and our kids can be taken out by it. 
even our own hearts can be taken over. So last, I want to start. I want to stop with this picture. I've used it before. Is it not working? Oh, there it is. It's not working for me. So I paid a lot of money for this art. Just joking. I love this picture, guys. I use it all the time because it's how I began to understand my own struggles. Um, I think God calls all of us to a mountain. And he says, if anyone comes after me, you will take up your cross and follow me. The Christian walk is not easy. It is very difficult. And that's what the mountain represents. Most of us didn't have moms and dads that help us look at that mountain and know how to deal with it. And so what we learned was to go around the mountain. And one huge way that lust gets us is to go around the mountain. It takes something that's so good as desire. Desire, true desire. And it distorts it and it wastes it. Your desire is given to things that aren't of this kingdom, aren't of this world. And you know what doesn't happen? The poor aren't fed. Children aren't, aren't built up in the faith. Schools aren't transformed. The kingdom is not built because desire keeps getting wasted in the wrong places. So if we can deal with desire, guess what begins to happen? True desire begins to win. And the kingdom, the mission of the kingdom, the things we are called to, gets, it gets built. We get to move out in mission together because true desire is cultivated and it's growing in and through this body. That's, that's what we're called to. Listen to this last quote. I love it. It's from Dietrich Bonhoeffer. This, uh, he, you know, he's a big discipleship guy. He says this, The pursuit of purity is not about the suppression of lust, but about the reorientation of one's life to a larger goal. Friends, can, can the gospel today reorient our hearts to that, that larger goal that we're called to as his church? Let us pray. Jesus, Oh, so much was said, and yet so much was not said and missed. And, um, Lord, we need your wisdom. We need uh, your kindness. I know there are many in here who feel caught in sexual sin, and lust is just ravaging their hearts. And I just pray, Jesus, that they would see you as their bridegroom. They would see the smile on your face as the doors open and you see your bride. That your delight your kindness is palatable to them right now. That they would see your face and move towards you in their shame and that see their shame healed from you, healed by you. Jesus, would you make us a community that is um, living out your righteousness, that is not, not just being pure for purity's sake, but for your sake, Jesus, for the, for the sake of the kingdom. Would you do that in us? Transform us, Lord. We pray all this in your name. Amen. Amen. My guess is there is a lot here for most of us in terms of going to confession. Now, I have said this each week, that is, you may be, there may be an off week for you <laughs> where you're like, oh, it's not as much me this week. Well, if it helps, think about not just sexual lust, but any form of lust. The epithemia, the over-desire that he's talking about. And it could be for anything. We talked about last week, food and uh, other weeks we've talked about different things that could be related to this. But regardless of, of whether it's sexuality or something else, where do you find yourself? As you were hearing uh, Mike teach from God's Word this morning, where did you find yourself saying, huh, I need to go back here. I need to revisit this. That's the place of confession. And so in a moment, I'm going to give you the opportunity to privately confess. 
Well, first we're going to do this corporately together because that's what it means to be a church family is that we, we confess together something that's true corporately of the church. But then again, privately, I'm going to give you an opportunity at the end of that.